Hey, well, welcome everyone. I want to welcome everyone that's online too. I recognize that though we can't all actually on one hand feel like we're together physically, we are together here. So I want to give you a big shout out. Everybody over there by the dock, look at everybody. It's awesome to see you and our students, great. And uh, I just want to thank you. Your generosity never ceases to amaze me. Uh, we're going to have a big top tent right there in the near future that you have purchased. Uh, you're remodeling the uh, tower right there. Those are going to be our offices. We're cleaning up uh, the packing house there and the campus. And so all of your generosity is making that happen. So super appreciate that. You are the best of the best here. And uh, so we're going to be adding another worship option in a couple few weeks here. There will be a big tent right there filling that space. And you'll be able to watch the service from there or in your cars or online. Uh, we're not going to take any of the options away. We're just going to be adding a big option in just a couple few weeks. So that is going to be amazing. What we're going to do today is we're going to be doing a message. I'm going to be doing a message on the age of rage, the age of rage. And so I'm going to be speaking from Romans chapter 12 and quoting some of Jesus' words. But what we're going to do is we're going to have one of our young adults, Jasmine, who is the granddaughter of Pastor Steve, and she is going to be reading the scripture for us. So would you please wave, honk, do something but acknowledge Jasmine. Look at Jasmine. Everybody there is for you. So uh, take it away, Jasmine. <laughs> Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Hey, so the title of the message again is how to live, how do we live in an age of rage? And would anyone here agree with me that we are living in an age of rage? We are, aren't we? And can we agree that this has been one heck of a year and that we live in times that really are unprecedented times? None of us have experienced the type of times that we're living in. And I really think that as we look back on the year 2020, that will be a defining year that we'll remember life before 2020 and life after 2020. And I wonder how the year has impacted you on a personal level, how it's impacted you on a personal level. I think for some of us, we're a little more fearful. We're a little more anxious. We may be a little bit more frustrated. Some people are a little bit more angry. And how about when you watch the news? And how about when you read social media posts and you observe the intense over-the-top disapproval of certain politicians, and you listen to the language that's being spoken on every side of the political and racial divide. And one of the things that has happened is our nation has gotten more polarized 
more quickly and more deeply than we can really ever imagine. And people now are really beginning to hate one another like we've never seen. And friends, I have to tell you that we are living in an age of rage. Why now? Well, the political scenery, the upcoming presidential election, the global pandemic, uh, we have unresolved racial uh, issues that keep intensifying. And it raises the question of this in a culture that really has become a culture of hate. When did it become okay that we hate one another? I mean, it just seems like everybody is okay with that. Perhaps some of us as followers of Jesus need to be reminded of the very fundamental and basic thing today in an age of rage, and that is that followers of Jesus are to be known for what? For their love. 2,000 years ago, think of it, 2,000 years ago, Jesus didn't gather his followers like if he could gather us today and say this, hey, I brought you all together here on the ranch, and after the church service, I'm going to give you these little fish stickers, and you can put them on your cars. Because when you do that, and you put the stickers on your cars, everyone out there is going to know that you are my followers. Is that what Jesus would say? Jesus wouldn't show up today with a, a bag of bracelets, bag of bracelets we could wear when we leave here that would have WWJD. What would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't pass those out and say, hey, if you just wear these bracelets when you leave here today, everyone is going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are my followers. Is that what Jesus would say? Or would Jesus say, hey, the world's going to know that you're my followers when they see the disappointment on your face when we talk about a certain political candidate or when we talk about the pandemic and they see your face, they're going to know that you're my followers. Is that what he said? Or did Jesus say in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you're my followers because you love one another. But what if somebody, Jesus, what if somebody's my enemy? Then what do I do? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we live in an age of rage. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 says, And anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is living in darkness. And so today I think that you would agree with me and I think that you recognize that you have to decide, that you have a choice to make. And how are we going to respond to the wave of hatred that is so prevalent today and sweeping through our land? How are we going to respond to that and how are we going to live our lives? We really only have a couple choices. <clears throat> we can either pour gasoline on the fire cause more destruction and more hurt and more trauma, or we can pour water on the fire and diffuse the flame. Well, what would that look like? So how can we love in a way that honors Jesus and makes a powerful statement to the world about the love of God? Well, we're going to unpack what would that, that would look like from Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be reading to you from verse 9 and going through verse 21 that Jasmine read. 
<coughs> so here it is, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, love, how do you live in, a, in an age of rage? This is it. Love must be sincere. In other words, it must be authentic. It must be real. It must be genuine. You can't be phony. Literally means love is the Greek word in the original writing of the New Testament, which is agape. It means to love from the center of who you are. It means not to fake it. It means not to be phony in any way. It means not to pretend. You see, you love from the center of who you are with God's love. And you say, well, where does God's love come from? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love of God is poured out in our hearts. It's poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit that is given to you. So the word agape, it's not a feeling. We don't love one another because of how we feel. It's a commitment of the mind and the will. It's a decision to love. Like God loved us, not when we were love, very uh, lovely. The Bible says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so how do you love people on the other side of the aisle? It literally means when it says to love sincerely, to love without wax. And in that day, in that culture, they would have fine pottery and it would have be thin and it would crack very easily when they would put it in the, uh, the kiln. And so they get these cracked pots and what they would do is they would take wax and they would patch it up with wax and fill in all the cracks with wax there. And you would buy that. And disreputable pot owners and sellers would sell those in the marketplace. And people knew that if it wasn't sincere, it had wax in it, it was phony, it was fake. And when you'd get home, it would melt in the sun there. And so it's saying, look, be the real thing here. Don't have a facade. Don't have wax here. Be the real deal. It is a God-like love. It must be sincere. Well, the Bible says, how do we live in an age of rage? To continue, it says, love must be discerning. It says, hate what is evil. In other words, glue yourself to what is good. Hate what is evil. In a time in which a culture is loving what is evil, more and more uh, our culture is loving what is evil. The scripture says you, you're to be loving what is good, to cling, to glue yourself to what is good. You see, you can't love God and love evil at the same time. Uh, uh, we can end up loving things that we shouldn't love, so love what is good. And then it says, it continues in verse 10, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, how to live in an age of rage. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. In other words, you here in this community who name the name of Christ, you are to be devoted, means to be fond <coughs> of one another in love. It literally means this. It means that to recognize that there's an affection that you have for one another because you are born of the same womb. You're from the same spiritual womb, saved by the blood of Christ here. The word used here is different than agape. It literally is the word love is phileo, which is friendship kind of love. Like, I, I not only love you because I sort of need to have to love you because you're a Christ follower, but more than that, I actually like you. I like you like a friend. And so I want to tell you that when we, uh, we don't love one another, it just doesn't fly with God. And so Christ followers are born of the same womb. And so we're to love one another. When I became a Christ follower years ago, there was this, 
this kind of this phrase that people would use, and the phrase went like this. The phrase, you'd hear people say this, and I was new to church, and I didn't really, really didn't quite understand it, but people would say this. They would say, I love them in the Lord. And I would think, you love them in the Lord. You mean you don't just love them, you love them in the Lord. Well, what does that mean? And I learned that what that meant was, I really can't stand them. Like, I hate their guts, but I'm obligated, I'm spiritually obligated because they're Christ followers, that I have to love them. So I love them, but I love them in the Lord, you know. And so, well, that's not how we're to love one another. We're actually to like one another, to be devoted to one another in, in, a, in this brotherly, family-like, born-from-the-same-womb type of love here. So I need to talk about what this looks like and how this comes to expression. And um, so I'm going to talk about how this comes to expression in social media. How do we love, how do we be genuine loving on social media? And I'm going to talk about for a few moments what this looks like. How do we love one, what, love one another in a highly charged politically, la- political landscape? I mean, what does that look like? And so I think one of the biggest problems with social media, I'm going to begin there, is people have a tendency to be so much more aggressive and so much more in your face on social media, way more than we would be face-to-face here. And people will say things online they would never be comfortable saying face-to-face. There's sort of like this emboldened boldness that people have when they're online. And it wasn't that long ago, was it, that you could just have normal conversations with people and you could actually respectfully disagree and dialogue with someone. But now, because of all the anger, supercharged anger, polarization, people immediately go in social media into full-on frontal attack mode, attacking personally and attacking character. And instead of saying, well, I, I have a different opinion or I agree with you, now what happens is they go to straight, you're an idiot, you're a bigot, you're a racist, and they're la- we're labeling one another just because they disagree. Not because that's who you are, and rather than have a healthy exchange of ideas and uh, and arguing opinions, people go into attacking one another, slam dunking one another, and demeaning one another viciously, people that are made and created in the image of God. And this is where we are now landing. And I have to tell you, friends, that when we do this, it is sin, that if that's something that you are doing, you are in sin. And so because the scripture says, if you're Christ's follower, to be sincere in your love for one another, to love one another like you're from the same womb. Listen, if mocking others or attacking others online or Facebook or social media about the pandemic or politics or the politics of the pandemic, really God is grieved by that. That grieves the Holy Spirit. And if if one thing, it's one thing to discuss ideas, but it's a whole nother thing to go into attack mode against one another or your Facebook friends. And I just want to say that for the sake of your emotions, for the sake of your soul, for the sake uh, of other people, perhaps you need to rethink this. For some of you, perhaps you need to unplug. 
Maybe you need to unfriend. Maybe you need to unfollow some people or altogether social media for a season or take a sabbatical. I think some of us need to just recalibrate how we express ourselves on social media because Jesus said that you will be known not by how you express yourself on social media, but by your love. Secondly, I want to say a few things about how this comes to expression in the political landscape in which we're in. I recognize that some of us are new to sanctuary, so I want to say a few words about how we would approach this, uh, especially in political seasons. And I think that we would all agree, tell me if we would all agree, that this is perhaps the most contentious political presidential election of our lifetime. And so we're not afraid as a church to address difficult issues, nor is there any question where we stand on, uh, mor on moral issues or having moral clarity on what the scriptures say and speaking into those things. But between now and the election, when you come here on Sundays or when you, you listen online, this campus, this ranch, is a political-free zone from the platform. What we do here is we gather to teach the Scripture and to worship Jesus, to recalibrate our hearts and our minds. But we think, I think, that every Christ follower that is eligible to vote, listen, friends, look at me. You need to vote. If you're eligible to vote, you need to vote. Uh, the blood of many people has been spilled for the privilege the great privilege it is in America to vote. So if you had a posture of I'm not going to vote, I'm challenging you, and I'm asking you as your pastor to reconsider and to vote. So it is a great honor to vote. And ask the Holy Spirit uh, to lead you as best you can to discern, to get on your knees, to pray for wisdom and discernment, and to vote your values. And having said that, having said that, our posture is this, is to put love over politics. See, we can disagree. We can disagree politically, but still love one another unconditionally, as Jesus said. <clears throat> Jesus said the greatest command is this, to love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Then he said the second command is this, the second command is this, is to love one another. That's the second greatest command, to love one another as yourself. Imagine with me for a minute, just imagine if you could get your mind around this, if we would do this very thing between now and November 3rd, if we would just love one another as we love ourselves, would there be any looting? Would there be sexual assault and physical assault? Uh, would there be bullying in school? Would there be racism? See, it would be the most powerful, game-changing, paradigm-shifting movement that has ever happened in the land if we would just take Jesus' words and love one another. You see, friends, it's 44 days till the election, and then it's going to be over. And everything that we say in the heat of the moment in defending our positions could come to bite us. You can say something or do something after the election, and think about this, after the election, that could undermine your influence, your spiritual influence later. On November 3rd, the candidate that you're hoping to win or lose is going to win or lose. However, 
The church wins or loses by how we treat one another, by how we love one another. And no matter who is elected president on November 3rd, this is what I know. Jesus will still be king on November 4th. And this is what I know. On November 4th, on November 4th, we follow the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So things are not going to change vertically. They will change horizontally, but they're not going to change with Jesus. Does anybody remember the song? Does anybody remember the song that was sung long ago? Jesus loves the little children. Remember that? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Well, I might want to add to that, and I want to add to that, Republican or Democrat, left or right, we are all precious in his sight because Jesus loves the little children of the world. See, love must be sincere, and we must be devoted to one another. It says in verse 10, and take delight in honoring one another. Take delight in honoring an age of rage, an age where social media has gone crazy. Take delight in honoring one another. In other words, it means in the original language to outdo one another in honoring one another. Verse 11 says, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. It literally means this. It means the picture is of a boiling pot of water. And it means that in an age of rage, let your spirit, your heart for God, be like boiling over, not half-baked, not halfway, uh, uh, half-hearted, but boiling over. Serve the Lord to the boiling point of intensity, it literally means. And then verse 12, keep on praying. In other words, keep your dialogue with God happening. Keep talking to God, working through everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God, and the God of peace will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But you just keep on praying through the chaos of the culture here. And then it says in verse 13, and when people are in need, be ready to help. In other words, be generous, like we talk about all the time. You see somebody that you can help, you can't help all the people all the time, all, all by yourself, but you can help somebody someday. So when you can, be generous. And then it says practice hospitality. Show kindness to strangers. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you and bless and don't curse. Here's the reality. Here's the reality in an age of rage. You are going to be persecuted. You're going to be mistreated. You are going to be lied about. You're going to be hurt deeply. How do I know that? It's just a reality. It's an inescapable reality. So it says, bless those who persecute you. Well, how do I do that? How do I go against the, the age of rage here? How do I not uh, just buy into the cultural norm of I don't get mad, I get even. When someone goes off, I go off against them. When someone gets mad at me, I, get, I just get mad back at them. When someone's rude to me, I'm just rude to them. But Jesus, or the Bible says in, oh, well, Jesus said the same thing also, but Paul echoed it in Romans, bless those who persecute you. In other words, 
our natural instinct, it's not to bless. Our natural instinct is to hurt those who hurt us. But you're not to live naturally. You're to live led by the Spirit of God. And when God fills your heart and mind, you, you can actually live differently. And so how do you bless those who persecute, persecute you? Well, again, Jesus said in Matthew, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so you want to pray for those who persecute you. Well, who is that be? It's usually the people that are closest to you that persecute you. It's usually not somebody in Korea or Iran that persecutes you. Somebody that's close proximity to you. And so it's your family, it's your friends, it's your workmates, uh, it's your colleagues. Those are the ones that you, you feel like persecuted and hurt by. It's just not the people out there. It's the people in here. It could feel like it's your husband or your wife or your family. And so Jesus said, pray for them. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. When he was being nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And so there's Jesus uh, modeling for us how we're to be when we feel persecuted. Acts chapter 7, there's Stephen. And Stephen is being stoned to death. How awful and violent that must have been that they were stoning him to death. And there in the crowd was a young, a young rebel, a young zealot by the name of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And there was Saul, it says he was consenting to his death and watching as he was being stoned to death. And there was Stephen praying for his persecutors, praying for those who were assaulting him to his very death. And I wonder if that just affected the, uh, the young man Saul there, who then would write these very words to pray for those who persecute you. I guarantee you, that when you, when you pray for those who persecute you, when you pray for the other party, when you pray for those who demonstrate hatred toward you or racism, uh, when you pray for those that blast you on social media, it might not change them in a time frame that you can observe, but it's definitely going to change you. It's going to change you. You're going to be more emotionally healthy. You're going to give it to God here. So there's so much more in this uh, Romans 12 that I want to unpack, but for the sake of time, I'm going to begin to wrap things up. And so it says in verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. And if it's possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It says as, as much as is possible, it depends on you. You see, you can't stop people from hating you but you don't have to hate them back as much as depends on you. The person you can take care of is you. You can't take care of all of them, but you can take care of you. So as much as depends on you, you live at peace. In other words, don't unnecessarily retaliate. Don't be seeking revenge. Don't be going sideways and going off on people. And the Bible is realistic. It says as much as is possible, recognizing sometimes it may not be possible. But if it is possible, uh, what great advice for living in an age of rage. Do what you can do. And then the next verse tells us, when you've been offended and wounded to the core of your being, what do you do? You don't take revenge. You recognize that revenge is, is God's work. Let God handle the revenge. Trust Him. 
Verse 19, and don't take revenge into your own hands, my dear friends, but leave room for God. Leave room for God. For it is written, I will avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Friends, why would, why would God say that? God who created you, God who's wired you up, God who knows who, who the very, the very, fabric of your being, why would he say that, that revenge is not for you? Perhaps because when we take revenge into our own hands, don't we usually mess it up? Don't we usually respond too harshly, strike too fast, say or do regretful things, just want to get even? So God says, hey, hey, all my followers, all my children, I've got this. God is a God who took care of the Egyptians, drowned the Egyptians. God is a God who takes care of it. He dealt with Goliath when there was the battle between David and Goliath. He dealt with Ananias and Sapphira and Acts there, and they lost their lives. He's God. He knows the motives of your heart. And so leave revenge to him is what the Scripture is saying, because revenge, it will destroy you. Revenge destroys you. Revenge doesn't work. So what God is saying is very simple. Revenge is not to be on your agenda. Revenge is on my agenda. So you transfer it from your agenda and trust me and put it on my agenda. And that's how God wants us to live. Verse 20 and 21, and I close with this. On the contrary, don't live like that. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so you overcome evil with good. You don't buy into what the culture is doing. Because, friends, if you try to respond with revenge, the thing that's going to happen is and you, you hold on to your hurt, your hurt is only going to hurt you. And your hurt is going to turn into hate. And it will work malignantly uh, in your lifetime and come to expression in the worst of ways. So friends, we're to forgive. We're to love our enemies in an age of rage. This is how we're to live. And friends, this is the, this is the word of the Lord. This is the way of Jesus. This is his example. This is the way that we're to live in the age of rage. Watch. They cursed him, and he blessed them. They nailed him to a cross, and he prayed for them. They mocked him, and he said, Father, forgive them. So today I want to leave you with this one challenge in an age of rage. Love sincerely. Love someone who is your opponent. Maybe the opponent is your family. Maybe the opponent is your friend. Maybe the opponent is someone in your neighborhood or it's your work or someone in social media. But what if this week you loved one person, you took one step towards Jesus' command to love one another? And because followers of Jesus are to be known for their love, not for their hatred. Love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. Do not be overcome by evil in the days ahead, but overcome evil with good. Pray, show honor, love one another without phoniness, without wax, because this is what I know. 
The future can be dark, and it probably will grow more dark, or it can be different in your relational circles. I'm going to put my energy, I'm going to put my effort into making it different in the circle in which I live. So friends, what is God saying to you today? What is he saying to you today? Maybe God is speaking to you about your need for his grace. Maybe speaking to you about your need for Jesus, who died for you on a cross and gave his life for you. And said that if you would receive that, you can be my follower. You can have forgiveness of sins. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to write in your cars there on the dock, under our tents, to bow our heads with me as we close in, in, in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? And Father, thank you that we can genuinely love as you have loved. Father, thank you that we can be devoted to one another in love as if we came from the same womb. And Father, I pray that you would show us who needs our love. And Father, in these unprecedented times in which we live, may we not be overcome by evil, but may we overcome evil with good. And thank you that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.